realize that evangelization, that initial proclamation of the gospel into people's lives, is as much an art as it is about the science of what is the gospel, how do I lead people into deeper conversion, et cetera, et cetera. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are back to yet another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as sometimes, <laughs> with my illustrious co-host, Dave, the angelic doctor, Van Bickle. How you doing, Dave? Ooh, that was, that was bold, man. It was bold. The angelic doctor. Sorry, Thomas. I like, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm really uncomfortable with it. <laughs> it's okay. It's just a made-up nickname. So what's going on? What, 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 how's your ministry been going? What have you been doing? Good. You know this is my busy time. So, um, yeah, come out and see me, thesinnersguide.com. I think that calendar is pretty well updated right now. Um, and uh, we're booking like crazy right now all over the country. So um, it is uh, a good time, you know, for us, and, and I'm happy to be able to do that and to, you know, bring that that event all around. So that's good. And uh, I have some other stuff coming up, but uh, most of that is just that one talk, The Catholic Truth, about angels, demons, ghosts, exorcisms, and hauntings, um, which I, I enjoy doing because it really – reaches a strange crowd. I mean, a really great crowd, but also a lot of weird people come to it. That, And by weird, I mean awesome people, people who have not been to church in a long time. So what do you have going on? Man, it's all my daughter. It's all health. Yeah, so I know. I, I did know. I did an event out in Boston, but it was just a turnaround event. Um, and it was pretty, it was pretty crazy um, in terms of like flying out there, boom, 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 hotel late at night, up and at them early, early in the morning, flying back home, going right to work. So um, right. that was rough. But I, I planned on not doing a lot of stuff last week because my daughter was going to have a tonsillectomy and she has generalized anxiety disorder. So for all y'all people out there who have kids who are anxious or you struggle with anxiety, I feel you. My daughter had to get hospitalized because she was so anxious about swallowing anything after the tonsil surgery. So it just became this huge ordeal for three days. She was in the hospital. She came home on Friday night, and everything has been kind of a battle, but okay. She's eating and drinking by herself, but it's just the medicine that scares her. So uh, right. that has been a trip. And in the middle of that, I had to go teach some teenagers at a church nearby. So it was fine. It was a local event, and it was on divine revelation and on salvation history. So those two talks. And those are some of my favorite things to talk about with high school students. Because so many high school students struggle with revelation. Why would I believe in Christianity instead of science? Right. And so right. Um, it was funny because for one church, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton out in Houston, my buddy Andrew Schulke invited me out and I did this event for him where I talked at 930 and then at 130 and in between I went to GameStop because I'm a child. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and I gave these talks and then at my own parish on Sunday night, it was on... Um, divine revelation, faith, reason, and science. Like, how do they interact? And it was so fascinating because afterwards I sat at the stage. Mine was the last talk of the evening. And I sat there at the stage and I had, I would say probably about 10 people who came up to me. And they all had what I feared, which was, I have a teacher in school who says dot, dot, dot. And one of them was right. a history teacher. Another one was an English teacher. Another one was a math teacher. And they all right. said the most stupid and absurd things. Like, my history to teacher told me that all Christians are required to believe that the sun is the center of the universe. 
<laughs> and I was like, literally, that's the dumbest thing on the face of the earth. Right. And then right. so we start talking, and uh, and then this one, um, these two girls came up to me. and They said, "All the scripture verses you used, can you tell me what they were so I can write them down?" I said, "I printed out ten of them for people just like yourselves." And it was, you know, like Psalm nineteen one, "The heavens declare the glory of the Lord." And right. the whole idea right. is creation is invested with wisdom, with truth that's knowable. Right. And so that was that was a big part of my thing. But and I have one kid. The last kid came up to me. I love this. He's wearing a shirt that just says logic. <laughs> and oh, I was like, "Great, of course." I like this yeah. kid. So he comes up. He's a senior. He was sitting with a bunch of senior guys, and he said, "I heard a similar talk to this two years ago." And in my head, I'm like, "Was that me? Because <laughs> it might have been me." And he said, <laughs> "It left me with a bunch of questions." And he said, "But you started off by talking about the spheres of science and theology." And how they have their own first principles and their own rightful spheres. And there might be overlap, there might not. He said, that brought so much clarity to what I was saying. Because I I went through, it's like, what if you take the principles of mathematics and you apply it to psychology or sociology? Right. Isn't that funny how they think, yeah, they think you can do it for theology, but nothing else. Right. You know? Right. And so I was like, if if you're a sociologist, like Auguste Comte, who is the founder of the social sciences, he was this, he was crazy when you read his actual writings, but he believed you could apply the principles of natural science to the social sciences, and you can't. And so it's like you can't mathematize uh, philosophy, which is what Rene Descartes tried to do. There are no real Cartesians left in the world, right? So the idea of doing this, and yet for theology, it's like, well, blah, blah, blah. So my whole point was when you're looking to Scripture, you get truth. When you look at the natural sciences, you're trying to attain truth. Truth can't contradict truth. And it was that that was like, oh, okay. Yeah, right. And that right. clarifies so much for people. So much. Hey, we got some fan mail and and we which we, we get we do get our fair share, but like I'm I'm excited to read this one because you know I have an obsession with net ministries, even though I didn't do net ministries. So uh this is from uh Liz and she says, Hello, this is fan mail, just so you know. Um and she said that she spent last year as a missionary with net ministries and she doesn't know if we've heard of them. Of course we've heard of Net Ministries. We, I love Net Ministries. I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, but they caused her conversion from being lukewarm to on fire. Uh, last year her team served uh, going around the country proclaiming the kerygma, and this year she's continuing with Net to help train the missionaries going out to do the same this year. Uh, she says the specifics of our podcast are things she's seen in her time as a missionary, and I'm still seeing afterwards. Evangelization in every aspect of life is so important, and each podcast helps name a specific area of life that needs help. It's truly inspiring to hear two non-clergymen addressing the issue of living life to the fullest and then doing that themselves. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Liz, and we love we love Net Ministries. You know, I I know I've said this before, but like I pretty much solely hire net alumni to work for me. If I have a choice, I always hire net alumni. And you know what the reason is? It's not just that they know how to evangelize. It's the fact that they traveled around the country in that van with 14 other people for a year because they've, they've worked out a lot of <laughs> millennial interpersonal issues that other people have not, you know? And um, there's just like a, a maturity there that, you know, they, it's amazing. I mean, net, net is great. You know, they do a very good job of thoroughly evangelizing their missionaries and then thir- sending them out to thoroughly evangelize those who come to them. So good stuff. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love net. Uh, be, so many of my friends did net. I never did net either, right. but so many I didn't of my either. Friends did. I don't know why I didn't. My whole family did pretty much, but I never did. Oh, wow. Matt Frad met his wife, Cameron, on net. And so 
uh, I've always had this like love of net. And Luke, my co-host of uh, Catching Foxes, he in Cincinnati did a lot of partnering with net. And so I've always been around him, but never been uh, a part of him. All right. So today we're gonna we're kind of go to back to the foundations, right? We're gonna we're gonna throw out some stuff that you've heard before, but we're kind of just reviewing universal principles for evangelization. So we've had topics that are as specific as how to can a catechist evangelize. What we're trying to do today is do broad, broad universal principles that we apply to evangelization in almost every setting, okay? And they're not going to be in any order. We're just going to kind of go free-flowing here. Um, but what we want to do is just every once in a while come back to this, like, what are the, what are the, what's the nitty-gritty? You know, what do I need to know to get out there right now and start doing this stuff immediately in, in any kind of relationship, you know? Um, so yeah, so that's what we're going to do. And, uh, we won't even number it because I don't even know how far we'll get here, but we're going to throw a bunch of these out at you. So, uh, Gomer, you want to kick us off or you want me to, uh, no, I think the first thing that we need to think about when we are evangelizing is what is the gospel? And I like to remind people of this. The gospel means good news. It's news because it's about an event that already happened and it's good. So you should want to share it. Reverend Timothy Keller says that. He says, because the problem is people want to take the gospel and have it be everything for the Christian. Like, oh, you're not, you're not serving the poor. You're not doing the gospel. And it's like, okay, okay, back off. That's the results of the gospel. So what is the gospel? The gospel is what Jesus Christ accomplished for you and me in the world 2,000 years ago by his life, death, resurrection, and the one that always gets forgotten, his ascension into heaven. So the results that come from that are what we call Christian living, the celebration of the Christian mystery of the sacraments and all that stuff. That flows forth from the defining Christ event of 2,000 years ago. The Paschal mystery is the gospel. And Jesus, even when, uh, when he talks about in Mark's gospel, he talks about proclaiming the gospel in the very beginning. I used to say, well, what is he proclaiming if he hasn't died and resurrected yet? What is Jesus's good news? So the good news is the kingdom is at hand. So there's always this individual acceptance of the gospel, of what Christ accomplished for me, and the corporate notion of the church and the kingdom of God. So I always want to help people understand that the gospel is what Jesus did for me, and that's what ushers in the kingdom. So I, as an individual, have faith in Christ, but also I belong to Christ's body, the church. So there's always that dynamic. Awesome. So number two, you know, just the universal principle of growing in a trust, trusting relationship through listening rather than speaking, okay? Uh, and again, I'm sure all of you are saying, like, I've been listening to you, you know, for a long time, and you've said this about a thousand times. Well, here's a thousand and one, because what I'm seeing over and over and over again is people are asking the question, what do I say when they say this? And I understand the obsession with trying to find all the answers, but the truth is real evangelization, right? Where really effective evangelization, any long-term evangelist will tell you this, takes place within a trusting relationship. And that usually has to do with building trust through keeping your mouth shut and listening, taking the story that they want to tell so that you can understand where they're coming from. No one wants to be a square peg banged into a round hole, okay? What they want is for you to really truly listen to them, to, to see them, to encounter them, 
and to really try to get into their life in a real way so that then you could really truly offer some kind of a response to the questions that they might have, to the yearning of their soul, okay? So listening, and, and I'm not saying that you just have to sit there and just take it. What I'm saying is practice active listening, right? Ask questions, do all kinds of things like that to, to really get to the, to the heart of this person and really try to start asking the deeper and deeper questions. Have a plan, right, of how you're going to try to get to know someone. Um, see, it, see it almost in a strategic way, not so strategic that it's, that it's cold or mechanical or mechanistic, but, uh, but actually have a plan of how you're going to actually you know, enter and keep, keep your mouth shut a little bit and ask those questions that are going to get to the heart of the matter so you can understand the person you're trying to talk to. That's awesome. And flowing directly from that, is balancing the notion between the science and the art of evangelization. I think we try to do a pretty good job of going back and forth between the science and the art, right? What is proclamation? What is the gospel? What is evangelization? What are the moments that lead people to make a decisive commitment to Jesus Christ? But then there are the art of it, the listening, the asking of questions, the building of a relationship, the investing in other people to be a blessing to them, full stop, end of sentence, regardless if they convert or not. Um, it is an art as, as well as a science. The problem is when it only becomes a science, it gets reduced to a techne, right? Um, it becomes Pelagian. Evangelization detached from the art of Christian living becomes a, like, if I pull these levers and flip these switches and say these correct words, ipso facto, boom, I'll have a conversion. And that means that you and I are ceasing to view the other as a person with ends in and of themselves, and we view them as a product or a, uh, a project that we're trying to manipulate. That never leads to, or rarely, sometimes it does, and sometimes the Lord can work with it, but it rarely leads to an authentic conversion. It might lead to agreement, but we're looking for deeper than just agreement. We're looking for conversion. So realize that evangelization, that initial proclamation of the gospel into people's lives, is as much an art, meaning it's as much about relationship and the building of trust and openness as it is about the science of what is the gospel, how do I lead people into deeper conversion, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome, awesome. Okay, the next one I'm going to say is, if you're use tool evangelization tools should only be used in very limited and specific situations. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Handing someone a book is not really a form of evangelization. Handing someone a tract is not really an effective form of evangelization. Can it be? Absolutely it could be. What and about wearing whole- a t-shirt with a cool hashtag? Yeah, the, well that is actually the highest form of evangelization, higher than any <laughs> other form. But but true, truly, in all honesty, it can be. The Holy Spirit works through many, many broken you know avenues. But the but be careful if you really want to evangelize. That doesn't mean just handing out a book, handing out a tract, having an event, doing something like that, right? You want to make sure that those things are directed, okay, and that they're part of a larger strategy to evangelize. So yeah, I, I recommend books from time to time, but it usually always is because someone has come in and asked me. What book should I read about this or what should I do about that? Meaning that I'm in a relationship with them. A tract could be something that's a conversation starter, certainly, but make sure that that's what you're using it for and not just you know throwing them out of a helicopter hoping that they'll hit the right person. Could it happen? Of course it could, absolutely. But what you want to do is if you're serious about evangelizing, make sure that those are part of a larger 
uh, strategy of how to advance the gospel, advance the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, a, a, a book can be a very, almost like a, a door-shutting experience because what you're saying is, yeah, I don't really have time, but read this book and you'll be okay, right? You, it might not even come across that way or anything like that, but the truth is, is that most people who get them don't ever, ever, ever read them. Then when you do use those tools, make sure that they're high quality, make sure that they're not offensive to other people, make sure that they are something that is charismatic, okay? But use tools very, very specifically and, and be careful about using them. Make sure they're part of the greater strategy of what you have for building relationships and building Christian community. Another thing is people can be fickle. People can be emotional. People can have really good reasons for things that maybe we don't understand from the outside looking in. But we have to keep in mind that rarely is conversion a steady, straightforward process. This is where the art of it comes in and discernment and prayer and prudence. Because like Sherry Waddell talks about these five thresholds that people have. You know, you're building of trust. People are open. They're curious. They're going through all these different stages. And she makes this funny comment where people can ping pong between the different thresholds. And I said to her one time, ping pong, is that a scientific term? She said, absolutely. And people can. It just it describes it really well. Some people might make huge advances in the faith where they believe in the Trinity, but then the church sex abuse scandal hits right. someone that they know, and they pull back and say, and well, rocks how them. can I right. trust this institution? And then maybe they encounter a heroic priest who does something amazing, and then all of a sudden they go well beyond all this stuff, and they're ready to cast their nets. Like, we need to realize that people's emotions, that people have reasons that maybe we're not aware of, that causes them to ping pong. And so you as an evangelist should never lose heart because it looks like someone is quote unquote backsliding. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're just hitting on a new area of the life and dynamic of following Jesus on the way that takes them significant time to evaluate and understand it. I mean, you have to count the cost before you can give your life to Christ. Some people realize, oh, there's a whole other uh, account over here and other bills that need to come due that I need to pay attention to on this side that I haven't even thought of yet. And so just give people the breathing room to ping pong while uh, not being afraid to help bring them through, right? I like it. And, and uh, kind of uh, playing off that, okay, uh, you're going to need to know where people are at if you're going to give them that freedom. Now, what I have found is that it's very, very difficult to see the action of the Holy Spirit in another person's life if you're not thoroughly looking at the action of the Holy Spirit in your own life. And so I mean just simple things like knowing your testimony inside and out, knowing how God worked in your life, knowing uh, just the different things. I think I've told this story before that you know, when I give my testimony, I always started at a conference that I attended, a Steubenville conference that I attended when I was 14 years old. The truth is, two years before that, um, a lot of stuff started happening, you know? And before that, my family was evangelizing me. My parents were evangelizing me. Um, but two years before that, I remember grabbing the wrong backpack on the way to the beach. And in that backpack, it just so happened to have a, a, a disc man, which most of you probably don't even know what it is. Well, well actually, I'm sure people who are listening to us are older. But, uh, <laughs> and, and, the, and the book Imitation of Christ. And I remember sitting on the beach and listening to Jars of Clay and, and reading Imitation of Christ in one sitting as like a 13 or 12-year-old at this time, okay? Wow. And, and, and I remember being deeply affected by this, you know? Even though I, did, I wasn't ready to give my life to Jesus— 
it took a couple of years, but it was deeply affecting. So what I'm saying is go back and, and look at the history of what God has done in your life. Understand it so that you can understand the way God works. Uh, and look at your own kind of ping pong effect of when you were drawn in and drawn back out and drawn in and drawn back out uh, so that you can understand, uh, first of all, so that you can be ready to give that reasoning, you know, but also so that you can understand the way God works in other people's lives. Uh, it's it's a really important part of evangelizing is knowing your own story. That is so funny. I just imagine you with flood on repeat just listening yeah. to- down no way, man! It was love. No, no way, man! It was love song for a savior. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one. Oh, jars of clay. Um, the other thing is another principle that for an evangelist to keep in mind, especially someone working in an institutional setting, a movement, um, a ministry, an apostolate, a side hustle, whatever it might be, uh, is we are working for conversion. And conversion means the getting rid of an old way of life. So conversion itself is a kind of miracle, okay? That is powerful for us to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in that work. So you talked about understanding the movement of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Our mission is to resurrect the dead. So keep in mind, you can't create miracles on your own. If you can, uh, I don't think you can. The, the reality is you need the power and intercession of the Holy Spirit. You need the advocate to be before you, with you, in you, and after you when, it talks, when we talk about evangelization. You are raising the dead. As one Protestant evangelist put it, Francis Chan, if someone told you, I want you to go to a cemetery and pray that one of those people resurrects from the dead right there uh, and you have 24 hours to accomplish it who would you take with you would you take the band or would you take the person who is the most strident prayer you know of course you take the prayer person right the person who loves and has a life of dedicated prayer well that's what we need to bring in with our task of evangelization we are doing a miracle a new heart a new spirit is being put in people's lives so realize that dynamic of conversion, because I have been meeting too many youth ministers, deacons, priests, um, DREs, who do not have a prayer life. They're not interceding for the conversion of their yeah, it's, people. It's a, it, guys, I mean, you know, so many people are going are gonna to dismiss that one point, and, and years from now, you're going to see that the fruit is not there because the fruit in your own heart is not there, you know? The overflow is not there. It's, we, we just can't stress it enough. Okay, uh, what I want to say is be careful about what you think conversion looks like, right? Just because someone is, is giving their life to Jesus Christ does not mean they've joined your political party, your social group, all of those kinds of things. It doesn't mean that, right? You have to be very careful about what kind of box you put someone into, and that means on both ends of the conversion spectrum. Uh, the idea that someone goes to church so they don't need to be converted is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. Same for the, the, the and, and, and in the opposite sense, right? That just because someone doesn't go to church doesn't mean that they're totally far away from God. They could be asking very deep, important questions. And so you want to make sure the box that we're placing people in, right? I think Sherry Waddell always says, never accept a title over a story. 
Never accept a label in place of a story. Right, right. And that's a a perfect way to say this, right? Uh, We have to make sure that we're not putting people in some kind of a box and that we're not putting some kind of a burden on them that maybe they're not ready to do. And one of the ways we see this a lot of times, and I don't know if you see this, Gomer, but people who evangelize through, like, devotions. So, for instance, like, people who use divine mercy to evangelize, which I think is a beautiful and a great thing to do, but it's not necessarily the way that that person is going to come to experience Jesus Christ, right? Uh, especially ongoing. Or someone might do it through like a, one of the renewal movements, like the charismatic renewal or Opus Dei. It's a beautiful way to evangelize, but you have to make sure that you're not expecting that person. You're evangelizing a person to Jesus Christ, not to a movement, you know? Uh, and so I want, I want you to make sure that you're not putting a person in a box that, you know, that maybe the Holy Spirit isn't putting them in either, you know? Uh, and so what you're helping someone to do, uh, I was reading a quote by Henry Nowen today about uh, how evangelist ministry is really just uh, putting your own struggles, your own journey um, out there so that others can see the path, right, that you've taken and others can see that, right? So something like that. And, um, and that's what you really have to do is just show people how the Holy Spirit moves, kind of key them into the movement of the Holy Spirit, and then let the Holy Spirit work. I think that's awesome. Another one is realize that in evangelization, the primary thing that we can do to accompany the preaching of the gospel is the living of the gospel in terms of healing. Realize most of the people you're talking to are the walking wounded. I thought it was very powerful how Pope Francis called the church the field hospital. As one priest I heard recently say, you have to address the gaping wounds before you can treat their diabetes, right? And he's like, so from that perspective, right, we have to bring profound healing into people's lives. Like we have to work for healing in people's lives. And that will enable us to have the gospel message be heard, especially by those who do not want to hear the gospel. Yet that healing of their wounds will be unmistakable. And we'll constantly say, but maybe this Jesus thing is true. Look what it did to my heart. Look how it fixed, you know, uh, how there was healing brought to my heart after that breakup or after, you know, my boyfriend of two years moved out or whatever it might be. We, so many of us today are the walking wounded. And Jesus, not me, but Jesus is the divine physician. And so, you know, everywhere Jesus went, he did healing, he preached the gospel, and he taught the people. Healing, preaching, teaching. That needs to be a large part about what we're up to. And I'm telling you, if you start incorporating a healing message into your evangelizing message, you can be extremely powerful. Amen. That's awesome. The last thing I think, and I think as we start to wrap up here, I would say just the, the two books that have really had the, the greatest impact on my evangelizing are, number one, The Soul of the Apostolate, as we mentioned a thousand times before, and number two, Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Waddell, okay? Those two books taken, get to get, taken together are a powerful, powerful uh, tool for evangelization. And I don't mean tool in the sense that you give them out and they evangelize people. I mean you read them yourself, you internalize them, and you will be a walking evangelist. It will, it will pour out of you. It will overflow, as the soul of the apostolate talks about, from you. And we'll realize that what, what, what God's genius is that the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, but our heart cannot contain it, and it overflows into others. And that that's when real, true evangelization takes place. That's when people are healed, as Gomer was talking about. That's when minds are, are taught. 
that's when chains are broken, when holiness comes into the picture. Um, and, and, and you'll see that, yeah, God can work in someone in any situation that's broken, but a soul that is docile to the Holy Spirit, as it talks about in, in the soul of the apostolate, is very dangerous to the kingdom of evil, right? Because it will steal souls left and right uh, from, the, from the prince of darkness, right? The, the ruler of this present age. Uh, so please pick up, if you haven't done it yet, if you haven't listened to us yet, read Soul of the Apostolate and read Forming Intentional Disciples. You will be blessed. Awesome. So when we come back, we are going to do our five takeaways uh, so that we can get totally practical on understanding how to apply these rules and live them out in our daily life. The church needs lay people evangelizing. So after this brief break, you're going to hear something amazing from Ascension. Then we're going to come back and break open just how we folks do that. Do you find it difficult to enter into the mysteries of the rosary? What about personally applying them to your life? Drawing from the writings of the saints, the Bible, and Catholic tradition, Matt Frat has produced Pocket Guide to the Rosary, a masterful work that teaches Catholics how to truly meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, how to pray the rosary like the saints, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your prayer life and improve the way you pray what St. Padre Pio called the weapon of our times, we invite you to check out Pocket Guide to the Rosary by Matt Frad. To order, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Just a quick reminder, email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com if you want to get in contact with us, share your glory stories, share how much you hate us because of these super practical take fives that uh, (laughs) challenge us. Oh, they are so challenging. It is brutal. And I am excited. Here we go. Number one. Number one. Here's my challenge for you. In order to keep the gospel central, read Mark's account of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Just read that, prayerfully take it to your prayer time, read through it so that we can keep the Paschal mystery central in our mind and thought. Number two, we're going back to what we've, we've done time and again, and that's go back to your story, your great story of how God called you into life, into his own life, okay, and review everything. Look at all the movements of grace. Look at the different things and ask God to reveal to you new things, right? Memories that you might have forgotten about, different, different uh, maybe retreats, maybe sermons, maybe it could be anything, conversations that you had that God used to bring you closer to him. Know your story inside and out. Awesome. Number three, intercede for the healing of someone that you know. So I would encourage you to think about people, maybe um, someone who was Catholic and they got divorced and remarried or, or someone told them something ugly and it drove them from the church. Pray for healing of a situation, a physical healing, an emotional healing, whatever it might be. Just take time to think about someone in your life that needs some healing. Okay, number four, uh, you know, we talked about understanding the movement of the Holy Spirit in another's life. So you know your own great story. Now 
let's hear the stories of others, okay? So what I want you to do is either go to YouTube or some something on the internet that has conversion stories, okay? And you could go to like the Journey Home from EWTN or uh, some some form of conversion stories. You could even just Google conversion to Jesus stories and read some of those and read about how God uses different things, different people, uh, different mediums to bring people to himself and understand, you know, kind of the way the Holy Spirit moves, okay, in people's lives. Lastly, I would like for you to do something kind of unique. I want you, there's a man named Bob Schutz, and he started the JP2 uh, Healing Center. I think the world of this, I think the people who involved are just amazing people. Um, and Sister Miriam, who's on another Ascension pa- uh, Press podcast called Abiding Together, she helps with the, I think she does all of the healing retreats that are done in at the center in Tallahassee instead of the ones that go around the country. She is incredible. She's a personal friend of mine. I love her to death. And Abiding Together last week, one of the women, Heather, their one thing was our podcast. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. But when we're talking about healing, I don't think there's anyone else who does it from a yeah, I mean, they have a psychological background, they have a theological background, but they have a spiritual background and understand all the different facets of healing better than Bob Schutz and his JP2 Healing Center. So I would say just go Google it, John Paul II Healing Center, and go and just read about what they offer. And maybe maybe it'll lead to you signing up for it, you know, going to one of their healing sessions. We all have wounds that this culture has given us. So, um, yeah, take the time and research what healing looks like. Dave, why don't you sign us out? Awesome. We, uh, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow. I hope that you have been blessed by this podcast. Remember, contact us anytime at EKSB at ascensionpress.com. We love being here with you every week, and we hope that uh, you are being encouraged to go out and to step out of the boat and advance the kingdom of heaven. We love you all. God, God bless you all and pray for us. Adios.